See, Billy got picked on at school for things he couldn't change. He tried his best to play it cool, but in the seventh grade, you either fit right in or you don't fit. That's just the cold, hard truth. I wish that I'd have been the friend that Billy never knew. I think it's time to come together. You and I can make a change. Maybe we can make a difference, make the Welcome back. You either go to church or you're going to go to Top of the second hour of today's Road Warrior Radio broadcast this Tuesday, February 27, 2024. And uh, hopefully by the end of today's broadcast, you'll see, you'll at least have an idea if you didn't before, a better idea if you did before, of the nexus where the subject matter meets. Where, where does Darwin meet Lady Liberty, so to speak? It's the same conversation and... You know, this is the story hiding right out in plain sight. Uh, it's a busy day in history. This, of course, was the day, you know, speaking of strategy of tension type stuff and false flag stuff, this was the day of the Reichstag fire back in 1933. Mao's famous uh, speech on correct handling of contradiction among people. Back in 1957 and uh, in 2012, WikiLeaks began disclosing 5 million emails uh, from Stratfor, right? George Friedman. On this day, John Steinbeck was born. Liz Taylor was born. Constantine the Great was born. Uh, Joan Woodward, Josh Groban, among others. And on this day, Louis Vuitton and uh, Fred Rogers, Ivan Pavlov, uh, all passed away. Anyway, busy day in history. Back to this other stuff that I was talking about. There's there's a lot more, but we'll save that. So the anti-sectarian task force from Kit Knightley's article over at Off Guardian. The humanist element, perhaps most concerning, should be a focus on training of public officials, in particular training uh, personnel of maternal and child protection and school health services. Alongside that is the promise to aid to the victims of these abuses. If that aid is in fact financial compensation, this is suddenly very troubling. Uh, this is troubling ground, especially when combined with the fact that the mission will, quote, receive voluntary testimonies of victims of sectarian abuses or third parties wishing to testify such facts subject to adequate measures of anonymization. So aid for anonymized victims could quite easily be paid anonymous testimony, couldn't it? The CIA has perfected that over the decades. I mean, I've joked about the, um, the situation with uh, GoFundMe. After every strategy of tension event, there's a GoFundMe account for several people, and it fills up who's to say that um, you know 
artificial intelligence isn't used, for example, to pour bits of, you know, allocated funding into GoFundMe accounts seemingly, you know, using uh, astroturfing sock puppet accounts to make it look like actual people dribbling funds into a GoFundMe account. <clears throat> to sum up, Knightley writes, here's one highly cynical interpretation of how this new mission, quote-unquote, could function. Financially compensating anonymous victims, air quotes, to testify in secret, then using that testimony to justify surveilling members of a sect, quote-unquote, and monitoring their financial transactions. But I'm sure that's just me putting a bad spin on it. Actually, I don't think so, and I can sense the the cynicism. It's dripping with uh, sarcasm there. So this is a concern, and speaking of liberty, before we get back to it here, um, back to Darwin. From the, the uh, Grunge article, Karen Corday's Grunge article in 2021, the hidden detail about the Statue of Liberty you never knew about. Skipping down to the bottom, uh, per the National Park Service, after the statue's unveiling in 1886, many black newspapers pointed out the irony of the Statue of Liberty celebrating American freedom and democracy while racism and discrimination continued to run rampant in the United States after slavery was declared illegal. Happy Black History Month. Symbolism that the uh, statue, uh, as cruel irony and hypocritical espousing American ideals that were actually being that weren't actually being honored and applied to all citizens. We've had that conversation. All men are created equal except, you know, some are created more equal than others. In 1886 editorial in the Cleveland Gazette, quoted by the Washington Post, read in part, shove the statue, torch and all into the ocean until the liberty, quote unquote, of this country is such as to make it possible for an industrious and inoffensive colored man in the South to earn a respectable living for himself and family. The idea of the liberty, quote-unquote, of this country enlightening the world is ridiculous in the extreme. And in his autobiography, sociologist, activist, and scholar W.E.B. Du Bois wrote of sailing into New York in 1894 after two years in Europe. And he wrote, I know not what multitude of emotions surged in others, but I had to recall a mischievous little French girl whose eyes twinkled as she said, Oh yes, the Statue of Liberty with its back toward America and its face toward France. On that note, we'll shift back to Darwin and uh, hopefully bring the two together and uh, before the end of the broadcast and you'll see what I'm talking about. Okay, so this clip that we're going to play is titled uh, The Bible Explains Way More About Race and Racism Than People Realize. Can we do that, please? I constantly keep hearing about this term, systemic racism. There's a system that teaches racism? There is. It's called the public school system. Teaching the story of evolution is fact and science. 
If we were to look at the Bible and ask this question of how many races are there, well, let's go to Scripture. 1 Corinthians 15.45 says, So it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. Okay, there was a first man. And Genesis 3.28 says, Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all the living. Hmm. Acts 17.26, from one man he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth. Are we getting a clue as to how many races there are on the planet? Just with what we've seen here so far, how many races are there? There's one race, the human race, because we're all descended eventually back down to our original parents, Adam and Eve. When the Human Genome Project was finishing up in 2000, here was a conclusion from the study where it said scientists at the National Institutes of Health recently announced they put together a draft of the entire sequence of the human genome and the researchers had unanimously declared there's only one race, the human race. Isn't that interesting that science finally caught up with the Bible? Where did Cain get his wife then, if we all come from two people? You see, there's two objections built into here. In order to answer these two, we're going to look at biblical history and we're going to look a little bit at science. Let's look at the concept of DNA itself. DNA is constantly replicating. It's constantly making copies of itself. But unfortunately, we live in a sin-cursed world, so like everything else wearing out like a garment, it doesn't copy perfectly. If you inherit half your DNA from mom and half from dad, one of them has a bad gene. The machinery usually knows to express the good one. But the closer related you are to somebody, more chance you have this same defect and you get two mutated genes, the machinery can only choose from that and that's when you get big problems. You marry someone closely related to you, you could have severe birth defects. Before the fall, there would have been no mutations. Why would there be errors in the first two people that God had created? Everything's very good. There's no problems with DNA. But very quickly, of course, we know about the account of the fall. That's where sin and the curse happens. And over the next extended period of time, mutations are going to start to build up in the human genome. They're not just going to flood in. Even today, we get incremental additions of mutations. And over time, over time, over time, mutations increase to the point where 2,500 years after the creation, that's where we get God mandating in his law that there will be no more close intermarriage from that point on. But previous to that, close intermarriage is normal, likely because the mutation rate hadn't reached the point where it was going to be a problem if you married someone closely related to you or not. See, in the beginning, these two objections wouldn't have been an objection. I mean, would there, there have been a problem marrying someone closely related to you? No. And how about the law? Who gets to make the law, folks? God, not us. That law was instituted much further on down the road. So Cain likely married a sister. If you're going to get the human population off the ground with two people, you're going to have to marry a close relative. We're all related here today. Now, people will say, yeah, but Cal, like, I can see different races, right? They'd look at an audience like this as if I thought I can see different races. Where do we get our different shades of skin color? Well, it's actually very complicated, but we know one factor is melanin. And to just keep it simple, let's say we've got an A-type melanin and a B-type melanin. Let's say you get the uppercase A gene. Remember, you get inherited half from mom, half from dad. So let's say you've got the big A uh, gene. That's going to produce lots of that type of melanin. But if you've got the little A, that just produces a little amount of melanin. And the same with the A or the B type. So when you start to think of the combinations you can get, you start to see how you could get different skin colors based on different combinations. So if we can imagine what Adam and Eve might have been like, like what would their skin shade have been? We would say they were probably medium brown skin shade. 
because they would have had an equal balance of that big A, little A, big B, little B collection. This is, they called them the rainbow family in the article I, I saw in the Daily Mail. And you can see dad's got very dark skin and mom's got very light skin. Look at the kid. It's like a color gradient from light to dark and dark to light. Isn't that interesting? Just based on what they inherited from mom and dad. Here's another example. I want you to imagine you see these two gals walking down the street and they're chatting with each other. Most people would look at them and say, oh, yeah, they're two different races. They're actually twin sisters. Same mom, same dad. How could they possibly be two different races if they have the same mom and the same dad? Folks, we're all just variations of the same color. There's not different colors. It's just more or less of the same stuff. We're all one race one blood. Exactly what the scripture says. Which means if you're a biblical creationist and you're logical, you can't be racist. Because who would you be racist against? Is that not a unifying message from the word of God? Of course, it's not just skin color that people try to define race. We get different eye shapes and all sorts of variations within the humankind. What's interesting, though, is in all the people groups we see around the world, we always see every now and then a combination where in this people group, we usually see this eye type or this skin shape. But over here we see, oh yeah, and it shows up. For example, this lady here from Africa, what's the first thing you notice? Well, except for the pipe. <laughs> she's got Asian looking eyes, but she's from Africa. The concept of racism is completely non-biblical and it has no basis in reality. Now, it is true that we see these specific people groups all around the world. Does the Bible give us any insight as to how that might have happened? Absolutely. We can look at Genesis 11, talking about the Tower of Babel. Now, the whole world had one language and a common speech. As men moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. So, they all speak the same language at this point in history. Okay, Genesis 11.4, then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens, so that we may make a name for ourselves and not be scattered over the face of the whole earth. Again, this is in rebellion to God's word. Genesis 11, 5 to 7, But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower that the men were building. The Lord said, If as one people speaking the same language they've begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so that we'll not understand each other. The Lord scattered them from over the earth and they stopped building the city. That's why it was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there, the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. I mean, if somehow, miraculously right now, you group of people could only speak one language and you group of people could only speak one language, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, who are you going to start marrying? If you can only communicate with a certain group of people, you're going to start marrying people from that group that you can understand. Scientists know that if you take any large group of freely interbreeding creatures and you separate them somehow, geographically or through different means, you start getting specific physical traits in that group because they can't interbreed and get more of the variation. So when we think about that applied to the Tower of Babel, you can see that as these languages get separated from each other and they start traveling around the world, we get these specific traits and that's how we explain the different people groups. Not different races, same race, one race, the human race with variation. But don't we see variation within all the kinds created on the planet? If we had a dog show, would all the dogs look the same? No, I'm not comparing people to dogs, by the way, but all the creatures have variation. Have you guys ever watched European soccer and the cameras are panning the crowds and one of the dark-skinned players runs out onto the field and sometimes the cameras go up and you see some of the white fans and they're going... That's pretty racist, isn't it? Yeah. Why is it racist to make monkey noises towards somebody with darker skin? Where did, where did that concept come from? Right there. Where dark-skinned, hairy apes turn into Caucasian. Black people turn into white people. And the further down the rung you are, the less evolved you are. That is racist to the core. And almost every child in the West has seen that diagram promoted. Even giants in the evolutionary community like Stephen Jay Gould 
openly admitted it. He said biological arguments for racism may have been common before 1859, but they increased by orders of magnitude following the acceptance of evolutionary theory. As an atheist and an evolutionist, he admitted that when he mentions that date, 1859, he's talking about when Darwin published Origin of Species. He talked about the law of natural selection, survival of the fittest, right? And he didn't talk too much about human origins, but he did touch upon it and said in the distant future, light will be shown on the origin of man and his history. And then he wrote another book called The Descent of Man. Now, look what he wrote in that book talking about human evolution, supposedly. He said, at some future period, not very distant as measured by centuries, the civilized races of man will almost certainly exterminate and replace the savage races. At the same time, the anthropomorphous apes, that's the apes that look like people, will no doubt be exterminated. The break between man and his nearest allies will be wider even than the Caucasian and some ape as low as a baboon, instead of now between the Negro or the Australian and the gorilla. Do you see what he started to do? He started to categorize things, right? We got apes, and then we got apes that look like people, and then we got Negroes, and we got Caucasians, and, and he started to rank races along an evolutionary scale. And this started, in a sense, to get codified in science. Matter of fact, the same year he published The Descent of Man, Thomas Huxley, he was known as Darwin's bulldog. He championed Darwinism as an atheist. He said, no rational man cognizant of the facts believes that the average Negro is the equal, still less the superior of the white man. Huxley described whites as bigger-brained and smaller-jawed, racist to the core. They'd abandoned the authority of the Word of God. And, of course, we started to see things like this. This is Oda Benda. This is a man who was put in a zoo in America here as a missing link. Again, you can look up the research. By 1907, Scientific American was now describing pygmies this way. The personal appearance, characteristics, and traits of the Congo pygmies say they're small, ape-like, elfish creatures. And then biology textbooks here in your country started describing the races along a scale. This is by 1914 here in your country. This is a very popular biology book in the school system. And they identified five races of man, Ethiopian, Malay, American Indian, Mongolian, and finally the highest type of all, the Caucasians represented by the civilized white inhabitants of Europe and America. You can actually go to YouTube and you can see some of the Nazi propaganda films that they use to lace these racist ideas to accomplish what they accomplished during the Holocaust. Here's one of the quotes from one of those videos. It says, all weak living things will perish in nature. In the last few decades, mankind has sinned frightfully against the law of natural selection. We haven't just maintained life unworthy of life. We've even allowed it to multiply. Sometimes they would show Jewish people with mental disabilities and they'd show rats scurrying and they made it into people's heads like, look at these vermin. We've got to get rid of them. I'm not saying evolution is the root problem behind this. You know what the root problem is, folks? It's sin. Sinful mankind latches on to bad ideas to justify their sinful behavior. I constantly keep hearing about this term, systemic racism. There's a system that teaches racism? There is. It's called the public school system. Teaching the story of evolution as fact and science. Genesis 127 said, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. We're image bearers, all of us. One race, the human race. We've got atheism rising in our cultures all over the world. I know in Canada we do. Why is that? Because it's constantly being drilled into people's minds. As a matter of fact, in 2004, an anti-God series called Testing God, that was the name of the series. And in one particular episode called Killing the Creator, the narrator says, but why have we turned out the way we are? 
Once we believed we were unique, blessed with a soul and lovingly created by God in his image. Today, evolution says we're just a product of right. natural selection. The descendants of primitive bacteria, not the children right. of God. You think that affects the way people think? Folks, think about university. What are you doing when you go to university? You're studying the unity in diversity. That's what university is. Now, years ago in our universities, the unifying factor was the creator God of the Bible. So if you studied medicine, you shall not administer an abortive medicine to that child because it's created in the image of God. Today, what's the unifying message? Evolution is fact. Get rid of some spare cats, you get rid of spare kids. It's not really human, et cetera, et cetera. I don't know about you, but you know what I do when I get a lot of bacteria in my house on my counters? I wipe it out. And there's a lot of people on this planet today that believe that there's a lot of people that need to get wiped out. Population reduction, et cetera. The evolutionists know how damaging the story of evolution is to the biblical worldview. This is taken from a debate where we've got a Christian supposedly defending the scripture, but he actually believes God used evolution to create. And the atheist said, the most devastating thing that biology did to Christianity was the discovery of biological evolution. Now that we know that Adam and Eve never were real people, the central myth of Christianity is destroyed. If there never was an Adam and Eve, there never was an original sin. If there never was an original sin, then there's no need of salvation. And if there's no need of salvation, there's no need of a savior. And I submit that puts Jesus, historical or otherwise, into the ranks of the unemployed. No Adam and Eve, no original Adam. Why do you need a last Adam? It all breaks apart. Even Christianity today, this is a debate in the Christian world now, in their colleges, seminaries, etc., etc. And they depicted Adam as an ape man. This is a debate in Christianity. Now, was there really a first man, Adam? Was he just an ape man, etc.? Galatians 3.28, there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. It's a unifying message, but it relates to the gospel. You see, Romans 5.12 says, therefore, just as through one man, sin entered into the world and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all have sinned. Sin came through one man, Adam. Romans 5.18 says, therefore, is that one trespass led to the condemnation of all men. So one act of righteousness leads to the justification and life for all men. Look at this, the first Adam and the last Adam. The last Adam was Jesus. Jesus is our kinsman redeemer. Isaiah 59, 20 talks about the redeemer coming and Hebrews 2, 14 says he shares in flesh and blood, right? He's fully God, fully man. Acts 17, 26, he made from one man, every nation of mankind. Only the descendants of Adam can be saved by our savior, Jesus Christ. So if there's separate races not related to Adam, see, this is a gospel issue. First Corinthians 15, 21 to 22, but for as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all died, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. 1 Corinthians 15, 45, the first Adam became a living being, the last Adam became a life-giving spirit. 1 Corinthians 15, 47, the first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. You see how important this is? This is a gospel issue. Christians should be at the forefront of the anti-racist movement, biblical creationists, especially because we don't believe there are separate races. There's only one race, the human race. I constantly keep hearing about the There you go. So did you catch that? Did you catch that at the end? That was kind of fast. Um, Executive Director of Answers in Genesis up in Canada, Calvin Smith, talking about, you know what, if evolution is true, here's the subtle message. Basically, we're not descendants of Adam, and therefore... We don't have to worry about this sin problem. Isn't that interesting? Sidestepping that, and now we see 
you know, even in places like Joel Osteen's Lakewood Church, that's what they, you know, Joel Osteen says, I think people know. I think people know. No, they don't. That's why we're reminded in the Bible that sin is what separates us from God. But the good news is, you know, like I said, uh, again, there's only one race, as Cal- as you heard Calvin Smith mention, the one race is mankind, but we are not all God's children. So then how does one become a child of God? You cry out. Uh, like we read in Romans that if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. And, uh, you know, this is further clarified in, or, you know, maybe I should go the other way and say further simplified in places like 1 Corinthians 15, for example. Um, 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4. Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, in which also you stand, by which also you are, you are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believe in vain. But we don't believe in vain. He goes through that. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, and that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. That's it. In simple terms, right there. So, uh, that's the good news. We're not all children of God. Technically, you know, in orthodoxy. This is how you become one. And again, you know, like I said before, even if we, you know, if we want to try to stick on the subject of good works, 1 Corinthians 15.50. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. So there you go. But if we want to be heirs and joint heirs, we can only do that in Jesus Christ. So, um... To the phones quickly. We got some other stuff we got to do, but uh, Mike in Kentucky, thanks for calling. Welcome. Oh, well, I was just going to listen. You know, over on TLB Talk, I've been exploring uh, how the world could change in catastrophic rapid events. And, uh, you know, it's seen as kind of juvenile. But uh, the uh, continents fit together, and we've got all these pieces or clues that you can put together on this. Maybe uh, if, well, if our you. maps weren't muddled with, uh, maybe. Uh, <laughs> or s- hundreds of years, probably before, you know, when the initial explorers uh, started mapping stuff. Yeah, there's there's a lot of uh, things that don't add up in that department. Uh, but the uh, idea that we could have a two-foot-wide dragonfly or a uh, pterodactyl that could fly is uh, aerodynamic, aerodynamically questionable if our world is the 
same way it was in, quote, Noah's day. And there's another problem with the scriptures. This, when, there is no problem with the scriptures. Anyway, right. there's a problem with our you understanding. You have to understand the difference between day and era, era eon and epoch and all that. The words yeah, those are esoteric terms. Those are not biblical terms. So, anyway. Yeah, the there's the no Greek. problem with scripture. There's a problem with our understanding. His ways well, are not our Well, there you go. Ways. Yeah, okay. Problem, the, the problem yeah. with our understanding of scripture we, we is We didn't that, create ourselves or creation. So maybe some of those issues are above our pay grade. On my mouth. I didn't say that. I didn't say that. What I'm trying to say is, in Noah's day, it was a different world because maybe. a mist Don't came know up that. and watered. Don't there. A, a mist came up and watered the earth. It didn't rain. That's we know that from the story, you, right? Yeah, biblically speaking. Mm -hmm. Well, the scientists will say, that's impossible. It had to be raining. Instead of looking at how it could be possible, they reject the idea that it, the weather was different. It didn't rain. Nobody had ever seen a rainbow. How is that possible? Because, and how is the fossils, unless they're deceptive, which I don't think they are, how is it possible we had two-foot-wide dragonflies, insects that were that I big? I think that the fossil record has been messed with. I think there was a reason over the last 200 years in particular that we had so many archaeological do you think the dinosaurs anyway. are fake? Dinosaurs aren't fake. We're headed into a break. Yeah, I think a lot of the fossil record has been... Um, well, that takes a huge conspiracy. Fictionalized. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Yeah. Well, Look what's taught in schools. The possible. A religion is taught in schools as science. So, yeah, that's a huge conspiracy. Anyway, we're headed into a break. Mike, I appreciate your call. Stick around, folks. Oh, we'll be right on. back after the break. <laughs> You are tuned in to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Visit our website by going to republicbroadcasting.org. People often write to tell us what has happened for them since starting Extendivite. Allow me to read a few highlights. Extendivite works in keeping my blood pressure in the normal range. I have been using Extendivite for many years. Great product. I use regularly, and I rarely get sick. This product has relieved what appeared to be angina pain in my chest and shortness of breath after climbing stairs. I'm quite happy about it. My husband, son, and I have been using this product for a few months now, and we have noticed an improvement in our joints and blood pressure. To order, call 1-877-928-8822 or visit extendivite.com. That's X-T-E-N-D-O-V-I-T-E dot com. Extend your life with Extendovite. Have you been looking for a trusted long-term storable food company? We have a solution for you. Simply Clean Foods is dedicated to providing the best quality food you can buy next to fresh from a farmer's market. Our line of resealable fruits, vegetables, and meats are suitable for everyday use, and you won't have to worry about throwing away valuable groceries ever again. 
Our food is completely GMO-free, and our stringent quality controls, plus testing for heavy metals, makes us unique in the storable foods market. Simply Clean Foods' primary focus is to bring clean food to people all around the world and change the way we look at freeze-dried food in our daily cooking. When you purchase from Simply Clean Foods, not only will you be receiving high-quality food, but you will also be supporting veterans in need across the country and those who are affected by natural disasters. Go to republicbroadcasting.org and click on Long-Term Food Storage in the rotating sponsors' banners to support RBN. Simply Clean Foods. Do it today. Standing six foot four, weighing in 245 pounds of crime-fighting, political science-analyzing brawn. Ladies and gentlemen, Dr. Patrick Slattery. So, Mike, get off this anti-cicada agenda. I'm a born-again traditional Christian, and my favorite possessions are right here on my nightstand. That would be the King James Bible and my 357 revolver. I'd rather be ruled by Chinamen than Jews. Cool it with the anti-Semitic remarks, right? Just because you steal an election and terminate the republic doesn't mean you terminate the people in the republic, because we're still here. I'm not taking the vaccine. you, Bill Gates. There was a way forward still on January 6th. What needed to be done is to object to every single state. The COVID-19 virus was the setup. The vaccine could very well be a bioweapon. The Patrick and Jeremy Show, Tuesday at 9 Central and Wednesday at 1 Central. Before we do that, we'll go back to the phones. Before we do that, Isaiah 55, 7 through 9, let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return unto the Lord and he will have mercy upon him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. And um, so, you know, the fellowship of, like Tertullian said, what does Plato's Academy have to do with Jerusalem? We shouldn't let the world explain. We shouldn't let Galileo and Copernicus explain uh, God's creation to us. And uh, we shouldn't doubt. We shouldn't doubt him. It's interesting who is dealt with first in Revelation 21.8, but the fearful and unbelieving the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake, which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. That's an interesting concept. You read Jude and you hear about those twice dead. What does that mean? It's a reference, I believe to this, but who are the first two uh, 
people groups dealt with here, the fearful and unbelieving. They didn't believe God. Back to the phones in the interest of time. Dan in Virginia, thanks for calling. Welcome. Uh, I, I only caught the program the last half, and I'm confused. Uh, are you saying that there uh, is just one race, there's no races? or Correct. What? We all descend from Adam. So there you yeah. go. Yep. So if you're if you want to know more, uh, maybe check out the video that we played. It's titled "The Bible Explains Way More About Races, Race, and Racism Than People Realize." You can watch that on YouTube. Okay. Well, you're smarter than me, so I have to take your word for it. Well, just watch the video, read the Bible. There's this, you know, there are competing religions. One is taught in school. The other was, you know. If we can call Christianity a religion, I would call it a relationship with one's creator, but that has been done away with. Now we teach the religion of humanism, essentially, in school under the guise of science or scientism. So. Mm. Okay. All right. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Have a blessed day. Thanks, Dan. You too. Much appreciated. Um, all right. Last clip. This one is titled... The Theory of Evolution, How Mysticism Became Science. Can we play that, please? Science. The first group to promote the theory of evolution in modern Europe was the mystic order of the Rosicrucians, a Masonic order that is basically a meeting point between the Templars and the Masons. And their members were seen as holding secret knowledge. Their purpose was to promulgate Eastern mysticism and philosophies that they claim they received from Atlantis. In other words, their ancient wisdom. But the most important legacy of this order is what's called naturalist philosophy, of which the idea of evolution is a part. The most important characteristic of the Rosicrucians was the fact that they believed that every stage of development was a stage in the process of evolution. For this reason, they placed naturalism at the basis of their philosophies and became known as naturalists. This had nothing to do with atheism, so they were very religious. But the deity they worship is knowledge, or Sophia. Naturalism is the belief that nature self-organizes without a creator. Ancient secret societies, particularly those influenced by Pythagoras and Plato, employed a specific process for admitting members. Prospective initiates were attracted through mystical teachings, followed by a purging of what they called superficial religious notions and doctrines. Subsequently, they were introduced to philosophical and symbolic practices. Once an initiate successfully completed their apprenticeship, they underwent training in Neoplatonic concepts and gained access to the studies of chemistry, astrology, and numerology, which explores the meaning behind numbers. Sacred geometry is at the core of most mystic orders. They believe nature itself is the god. While the belief of naturalism was held by the Rosicrucians, it wasn't them who popularized the theory. According to Mackey's Encyclopedia of Freemasonry, that honor fell to Erasmus Darwin, 33rd degree Freemason and grandfather of Charles Darwin. He was the first person to promote the concept of evolution as we know it today, even though Lord Mabato might object to that. More on him later. In 1784, Erasmus founded a society to manage the dissemination of his ideas, known as the Philosophical Society. He also helped form the Lunar Society, a special group of, quote, learned men who met together and discussed different ideas on full moons. 
Some men in the group included Dr. William Small, who taught Thomas Jefferson at William and Mary College, and Benjamin Franklin, who visited the Lunar Society and developed a lifelong friendship with Darwin. Interestingly enough, in an article by Lord Ritchie Calder, Lunar Society members were assigned the very esoteric title of Merchants of Light. That description of Merchants of Light was precisely the same description used for the utopian society presented in Sir Francis Bacon's fictional novel, New Atlantis, which was originally called The Land of the Rosicrucians. That light is central to the mystery traditions and represents the light of enlightenment. The light they seek is the light these merchants sell, the light of enlightenment, or gnosis. Perhaps it's the same as the light the Statue of Liberty is bearing. It was created by Freemasons Frederick Bartoli, the sculptor, and Edward Laboulaye, the creator and inventor, who proposed the idea of a giant statue, Libertas, replicating a deity venerated by Freemasons and mystics worldwide. Interestingly, the Statue of Liberty, who happens to be located in the Big Apple, is a depiction of the Colossus of Rhodes, a gigantic statue built to honor the ancient Greek god of the sun, Helios. Sun worship harkens back to the most ancient form of light worship amongst pagan nations. Often called Masonry's great philosopher, Manly P. Hall in his work The Secret Teaching of All Ages said, This gigantic gilded figure, with its crown of solar rays and its upraised torch, signified occultly the glorious sun-man of the mysteries, the universal savior. The character that embodies this sun-man and universal savior is Mithra, who was called a god of light and truth in the ancient Persian religion. Mithra, also called Apollo, was often associated with the sun, and his worship spread throughout the Roman Empire. A shrine to the god Mithra is on display at Yale University. He was also synonymous with Sol Invictus, the unconquered sun. The religion called Mithraism originated in the Middle East. Mithra was a Roman god of war and took his stories from the Greek Orion and is the equivalent to Nimrod. Zodiac signs were important to the Mithraic religion, and the main religion of the Persians was Zoroastrianism. Though it faded into obscurity, its principle of dualism lived on in Gnosticism and the mystery religions of the Roman Empire and beyond. I want to bring your attention to Mithra's interesting little hat. That's called a Phrygian cap. The Phrygian people lived in a region of Anatolia, modern-day Turkey, and were associated with the legend of King Midas. You know, the one who turned everything to gold. The Phrygian cap, however, is also known as the Liberty Cap, which became a symbol of freedom and independence. This hat of liberty made its way all throughout history. This is the story we're told by the imperial historian Suetonius, who notes that upon the death of the Emperor Nero in June of 68 CE, such was the public rejoicing that the people put on liberty caps and ran about all over the city. Crowds could rejoice in their freedom from an oppressive emperor by donning the red freedman's cap. Later, it would become the bonnet phrygian or bonnet rouge when it came into vogue in 1789 and 1790 as a symbol of liberty during the French Revolution. Red hats have historically been a political symbol of freedom and are symbolic to ancient mystic cults. Mithra's cult was popular among soldiers and merchants, and it continued to be practiced even after the Roman Empire converted to Christianity, as most of the pagan rituals were simply incorporated into the Catholic Church structure. So has sun and moon worship really declined, or has it just transformed? The last known Mithric temple was closed in the 5th century AD. But Mithra's influence can still be seen in some modern religions and philosophies, such as Freemasonry. To paraphrase writer Ursus Major, 
Freemasonry is a continuation of Mithraism. So the decline of sun worship wasn't a decline at all. It was a metamorphosis. Back to the Statue of Liberty. According to the Scottish Rite Northern Masonic Jurisdiction, what they failed to teach in school, however, is the Statue of Liberty's Masonic origins and ties to Freemasonry. In fact, the Colossus in New York's harbor was conceived, financed, built, and installed by Freemasons. The structural framework was provided by fellow Freemason and French civil engineer Gustave Eiffel, who would later become famous for designing the Eiffel Tower. The Masonic origins of the Statue of Liberty are no secret. The cornerstone plaque features the square and compass. Did you know the statue's official title is Liberty Enlightening the World? It seems like the Statue of Liberty itself was a merchant of light. The light of evolution liberated mankind from viewing themselves as being created in the image of God. New Names for Old Beliefs According to the Masonic Scottish Rite of Boston, Erasmus's memory lives on with his grandson Charles carrying on his theory of evolution. So, his torch was taken up by Charles who continued bearing the light to his fellow men. Prior to Darwin, James Burnett, also known as Lord Mambato, a high court judge, Freemason, an anthropologist from Edinburgh, claims that a beautiful woman appeared to him in a fever and spoke to him in French about a philosophy that merged together the ideas of Aristotle, Newton, and what Darwin put forth as evolution. In the preface of Burnett's book, Ancient Metaphysics, he shows us the roots of his evolutionary thinking are found in Aristotle, Plato, Pythagoras, Egyptian, and Babylonian religion. Here is a quick overview of the history of evolution. The origins of the theory of evolution came from the Hindu Brahmins. Pantheistic evolution was passed down by Pythagoras to the Greeks. Thales and his Ionic school branched out from pantheistic evolution to naturalistic evolution. Plato and Aristotle's evolution ideas were dispersed through the Alexandrian school in Egypt. The ideas were followed through into the Middle Ages, the Renaissance, and into Freemasonry where they were preserved. Freemasonry and the Enlightenment had a rebirth of the philosophy. Lord Mabado and Erasmus Darwin carried the philosophy forward, and then Charles Darwin further developed the idea. Now, let's look at the men who continued to popularize the theory after Darwin. Francis Galton, Charles Darwin's cousin, was the founder of the eugenics movement. He believed human evolution could be achieved through science and population control. He put forth the idea that the governing classes of England should consciously guide the development of the human genetic heritage. Galton was one of the early promoters of Masonry's alchemical agenda. In Memories of My Life, Galton wrote, The publication in 1859 of The Origin of Species by Charles Darwin made a marked epoch in my own mental development as it did in that of human thought generally. Its effect was to demolish a multitude of dogmatic barriers by a single stroke and to arouse a spirit of rebellion against all ancient authorities whose positive and unauthenticated statements were contradicted by modern science. Galton would reintroduce the concept of alchemy under the guise of eugenics, a term derived from Greek for well-born. The basic ideas of eugenics were outlined in Galton's Hereditary Genius, a racist piece of writing advocating a system of selective breeding for the purpose of providing more suitable races or strains of blood a better chance of prevailing over the less suitable. In Galton's perspective, it was advocated that society ought to be organized based on eugenic principles. The envisioned structure of such a society would involve a hierarchical system where individual social standing would be determined by their genetic heritage. 
Leonard Darwin, son of Charles, was vice president of both the 1912 and 1921 International Eugenics Congresses. The first of these two meetings was the outgrowth of a 1911 gathering of the International Society for Racial Hygiene. Thomas Henry Huxley was known for being Darwin's official spokesperson, who was a member of the Masonic Lodge and Alfred Milner's Round Table Group. Huxley was a British biologist and anthropologist who was best known for his role in promoting Charles Darwin's theory of evolution. He was known as Darwin's Bulldog for his vigorous defense of the theory against its challengers. Huxley's contributions to the promotion of Darwinism were not limited to his public activities. He also played a role in the professionalization of science in Britain. He helped to found the Royal Anthropological Institute and the British Association for the Advancement of Science, and he served as president of both organizations. The red tape began to reign in the true spirit of science and replace it with the dogmatic ideology of those who owned these institutes. He also helped to establish the scientific journal Nature. Huxley's work was essential to the acceptance of Darwinism as a scientific theory. Huxley had two grandsons, Aldous and Gillian. Aldous Huxley, author of books such as Brave New World, with quotes attributed to him such as, The victim of mind manipulation does not know that he is a victim. To him, the walls of his prison are invisible, and he believes himself to be free. And the propagandist's purpose is to make one set of people forget that certain other sets of people are human. His brother Gillian served as the first director general of UNESCO. He was described in Adrian Desmond's biography as someone whose work amounted to philosophical clashes between disabling fits. Gillian Huxley was a blue-blooded English biologist and prominent advocate for evolution. He contributed to the popularization of the theory through his writings and public lectures. He also endorsed the strategy of world population control. Huxley packaged his eugenic views as humanism. The Pelican edition of his essays, from the period between 1959 and 1962, were published as Essays of a Humanist. In Huxley's 1957 book titled New Bottles for New Wine, we are already justified in the conviction that human life as we know it in history is a wretched makeshift rooted in ignorance and that it could be transcended by a state of existence based on the illumination of knowledge and comprehension. Just as our modern control of physical nature based on science transcends the tentative fumblings of our ancestors that were rooted in superstition and professional secrecy, the human species can, if it wishes, transcend itself not just sporadically, an individual here in one way, an individual there in another way, but in its entirety as humanity. We need a name for this new belief. Perhaps transhumanism will serve. Man remaining man, but transcending himself by realizing new possibilities of and for his human nature. Once again, his belief is that the ignorance of humanity can be transcended with the help of the illumination of knowledge and comprehension. Gnosticism did you know that Huxley is described as the father of transhumanism? He popularized the concept, but he may have borrowed the term from his close friend, Jesuit Catholic humanist Pierre Teilhard de Chardin. Yeah, Chardin is an interesting figure. Stick around, we'll be right back after this short break.
Tahibo Tea Club's original pure pouty Arco Super Tea comes from the only tree in the world that fungus does not grow on. As a result, it naturally has antifungal, anti-infection, antiviral, antibacterial, anti-inflammation, and anti-parasite properties. So the tea is great for healthy people because it helps build the immune system and it can truly be miraculous for someone fighting a potentially life-threatening disease due to an infection, diabetes, or cancer. The tea is also organic and naturally caffeine-free. A one-pound package of tea is $49.95, which includes shipping. To order, please visit drinksupertea.com. The first word is drink, spelled D-R-I-N-K, then the word super, then the word tea. The complete website is drinksupertea.com. Or call us at 818-965-9113, Monday through Saturday, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. California time. That's 818-965-9113, drinksupertea.com. Homeowners, are you in foreclosure, expecting to be served with a foreclosure lawsuit, or suspect your lender has coerced you into an illegal mortgage transaction? A huge number of mortgages made in the last 10 years have legal issues and are possibly defective. State laws and the U.S. Supreme Court have upheld that defective mortgage documents are grounds for foreclosure defense and for counterclaims in favor of the homeowner. If your mortgage has been sold or assigned since closing the loan, it may be defective and you may be paying the wrong party and the lender may not have standing or the right to foreclose or collect payments under the law. If you would like to know if your mortgage is legal or not, or know if you are paying the right party, we can help. Our initial consultations are free of charge. We are not attorneys. We are legal researchers and work closely with experienced lawyers who know how to help you find the evidence to help you keep your home. Email Tom at republicbroadcasting.org. T-O-M at republicbroadcasting.org. Health Simple with Colorado Shioji. Fact bit number one. What goes in must come out. Whatever we ingest, breathe in, or transfer by contact must be expelled. Expelled directly as burned calories, through perspiration, respiration, or expelled via urinary and gastric channels. Every element that is not properly used or removed by our bodies become toxins. And toxins, as we know, are causal to every disease and ailment. Toxins are what makes us subpar unable to be at our best. Be your healthy best by cleansing your body of daily and deeply embedded toxins. Live stronger, and we hope live longer. Shilajit, legit Shilajit, that is like Colorado Shilajit, is perhaps the greatest homeopathic whole body remover of toxins made by Mother Earth. Look for the gold mountain and medical symbol logo in banners on republicbroadcasting.org to watch the full video and see more information. Use code GORBN when ordering. That's G-O-R-B-N. segment already of today's road warrior radio broadcast this tuesday february 27 2024 from kathy burns uh masonic and occult symbols illustrated 
first published in 1998, beginning on page 281. Listen to what occultist Edward Shore says about Lucifer and his flaming torch. Lucifer, having regained his star and his diadem, will assemble his legions, there's that word again, for new works of creation. Search the Bible for the word legion or legions. Mark 5, 9, 5, 15, Luke 8, 30. Interesting. Um, attracted by his flaming torch, celestial spirits will descend and he will send these messengers from unknown spheres to the earth. His legion. That Again, I mentioned to open today's broadcast that yesterday uh, Jacob Rothschild passed away and so to see him photographed with Marina Abramovic, Satanist Marina Abramovic in front of Thomas Lawrence's Satan summoning his minions, them basically boasting we are the minions that are being sent forth as the uh, Lucius Trust puts it, the the uh, world servers. <clears throat> Who are they serving up on a platter? Anyway. Then the torch of Lucifer will signal from heaven to earth, and the new age Christ, the Antichrist, will answer from earth to heaven. Uh, light, as signified by the torch, is a very important Masonic term. Masonic writer Arthur H. Ha uh, Ward in Masonic Symbolism and the Mystic Way notes, when later he, the Mason, is given light, it means... Really, that he was taught the principles of occultism. And if we skip forward, the torch races. You can read about that in Greece. You need to understand what uh, the Hellenistic impulse is. And to conclude, as just mentioned, the Statue of Liberty holds a torch in her hand. It's no surprise to learn that the Masons gave us this goddess. And by the way, Hunt was a uh, Mason too. We heard that Bartholdi and uh, Eiffel, and also Hunt. They were all Masons. Um, in conclusion, again, there's only one race. You know, the Darwinian lie tells us otherwise. There's one race. Mankind, we're all descended from Adam, but we are not all God's children. So then, how does one become a child of God? And uh, John chapter 1 is a good place to start on that, perhaps. John chapter 1, verses 12 and 13, But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. That'll do it for today's broadcast. I hope it was edifying. As always, it truly is an honor and a pleasure. Take care. God bless. We'll catch you on the other side.
one of the millions of people who feel like there is a dark cloud hanging over their heads whenever they're using pharmaceutical drugs. For some, the short-term relief can turn into an opioid addiction nightmare. Have you ever wondered why CBD oil is a billion-dollar industry? It's because it works better than opioids and is actually healthy for you. However, CBD oil is stripped of all other helpful compounds found in the hemp plant. According to neuroscientists, the whole hemp plant, otherwise known as hemp paste, is even more effective than the chemically processed CBD oil. Are you ready to take back your health? You can try hemp paste for the price of a cup of coffee. Hemppaste.com slash RBN. Free shipping on orders over $50. See the banners for Hemp Paste at republicbroadcasting.org and visit hemppaste.com slash RBN. This is RBN, the Republic Broadcasting Network.